Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. I'm Tom Rowland, and this is the Tom Rowland Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, referee Dan Muglialta has called a stop to this contest at 21 seconds of the very first round, declaring the winner by knockout, Gregor the Gift Gillespie. I'm here with the winner, Gregor Gillespie, and wow, what a fight. Fantastic performance. I mean, that is about as flawless as you get, and to do it here... In Buffalo, New York, give us your thoughts on how that felt. I love this place. This is my home, Rochester, Buffalo, Edinburgh, this whole snow belt. I love this place. You guys, I'm so glad everyone can make it out here and see this fight happen. We've been working a ton on my striking, and boy, it showed off tonight. That was Gregor Gillespie. He's a wrestler who's transitioned to MMA, actually to the UFC. He's not just a wrestler. Gregor is a two-time high school state champion, a four-time Division I All-American, and an NCAA national champion. So I'm a wrestler, or a former wrestler, and my kids were wrestlers, and I'm a wrestling fan. I've been a wrestler, a wrestling coach, and a wrestling parent, and I'm always a fan of the wrestlers in the UFC. So the fact that Gregor Gillespie is in the UFC is not necessarily what caught my attention. He's 12-0, and 0, and he's getting a lot of people's attention, but this is what caught my attention. And I'm the best fisherman in MMA as well, just so you guys know. I'm going fishing all day, all week. You guys he threw down the flag. Follow me on Instagram. You'll see some awesome fishing this week. Gregor Gillespie, ladies and gentlemen. It turns out that Gregor is as obsessed with fishing as he is with wrestling and fighting. In fact, he goes by the hashtag best fisherman in MMA, and he gets straight to this fact on multiple interviews. Best fisherman in MMA. And I'm the best fisherman in MMA as well. Oh, don't forget, I'm the best fisherman in MMA. While Gregor has no problem claiming that he is the best fisherman in MMA, he remains very humble with his career as a fighter. When most fighters will use a win to call out an opponent, in the post-fight interview while he's in the ring. If you want me to call someone out and jump their hoops for you guys, I'm probably not going to be that guy. Go find someone else. However, backstage, Gregor did finally call someone out. I'll call one person out. Right, I get, go ahead. Chad Mendes, if he wants to have a fish off. Or, uh, you know, he's, I, 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 Chad Mendes is an amazing fighter. I, obviously, I'm not going to fight him. Different <laughs> weight class. Like, but uh, yeah, I, I'll do a fish off with him. Or maybe Cowboy. I'll fish with a Cowboy. The reference to fishing in multiple interviews caught my attention with Gregor. So I followed Gregor the Gift on Instagram. And sure enough, it was full of fishing pictures. So I direct messaged him. And by the next day, we had this podcast set up. And I really, really enjoyed talking to Gregor. He's in the middle of his training. He was on a drive and took the opportunity to do this interview by phone while he was in the car. I love my conversation with him, and I think that you will too. It's an interesting path to a fishing obsession. So now, here's the conversation with my new friend, Gregor Gillespie. So, Gregor, what are you up to, man? I'm actually on the road uh, back home right now to where I grew up, which is upstate New York, uh, up near Rochester. So there's uh, 
couple birthdays this week. I am November 13th, my sister's November 9th, and my brother's November 15th. So we're doing a little bit of celebrating. All right. That's great. Yeah. What, what will you guys do when you're celebrating your birthdays? Uh, well, I mean, I'm going to fish. <laughs> I'm going to try to get some people to come fish with me, but we'll see what happens there. You know, my brother's not a huge fisherman. I love to fish, obviously, but uh, we'll see who'll tag along. But I think they're doing some sort of party on Saturday for all of us. So, yeah. So, what, what kind of fishing do you do up there? Typically, I mean, you know, we're right on Lake Ontario. So, you know, during the summer months when it's a little warmer, we get some good salmon fishing in, we get some good trout fishing in. But my personal favorite is musky fishing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and do you also have pike? Yeah, I love pike. You know, obviously, pike are a little more abundant and a little easier to catch, so they're not as uh, gratifying when you do catch them. Yeah. So, have you? Uh, where did you did you grow up fishing? Yeah, I was. I fished a lot when I was younger. My dad took us out. My dad is a big canoe guy. He builds canoe paddles uh, for a living, and he used to take us out in a canoe a lot and you know local lakes. And we got a lot of fishing when I was really young. In my high school and college years, I focused a little more on wrestling and partying than I did fishing. Well, I was gonna, is, uh, I was gonna ask you that. That was something that I was very interested in as a as a former wrestler myself. I certainly didn't make it anywhere near the level that you did, but I know that you know with the camps in the summer and everything that you're doing throughout the the year, it doesn't leave a lot of a lot of time. And that's what I was kind of interested in how you became so interested in fishing. So your dad was an outdoorsman and building the canoe paddles, I guess he was, he was getting you out often and that's where the yeah. the fishing started. Yeah. I would say, you know, some of my younger memories are when he used to take us up to the Adirondacks, which is, you know, I think the best scenery in New York. And he would take us up there and he actually would toss us in the back of the canoe and we were real little. And I remember going to Saranac Lake and literally trolling a spinner bait off of the side of a canoe and catching pike when I was probably 10, you know, nine or 10 years old. But, uh, yeah. Again, during my college years, though, I kind of lost interest just due to other activities and obligations. But what got me back into fishing was actually two years ago or three, maybe three years ago now, I went and visited a buddy who was actually a, a, a sponsor for Edinburgh Wrestling. His name's Matt Lamoureux and, uh, you know, big fish from a big hunter. And he said, I want to get you a muskie. And I said, okay, I've heard the tales about muskie. I've grown up, you know, hearing about them and, and just you know, they're the fish of 10,000 casts. You're not going to get me a muskie in one day. He goes, I'll get you one in one hour. <laughs> we got two two muskie in that first hour. And then I, I was hooked. And uh, I just previous to that, it bought a, a small little 14 foot aluminum lund for, you know, a couple grand. And we were tanking around with that. And then it got really serious after that muskie. <laughs> yeah. So what was yeah. he doing? What was he doing so differently that, that you could go from a fish of 10,000 casts to, a, to two fish in an hour? Okay, so Matt Lamoureux knows, and this is insane to even think about now that I look back at it. Edinburgh Lake is a small lake in literally the town of Edinburgh. And I had no idea, but they stocked that lake with muskie. Um, Matt Lamoureux has lived there, you know, I don't know, 20 or 30 years now. And uh, he actually was a wrestler at Edinburgh as well. He basically knows that lake inside and out, and he was running... They've got, you know, the musky baits and everyone's got their own personal favorites, but some guys run riggers, some guys run them right off the side of the boat, some guys run them, you know, however your setup is. But he has his system. He's like, listen, if you run this for enough time, you're going to get a couple during the day here at Edinburgh Lake. And he knows the spots on the lake to go. And, you know, he's got the whole shebang set up and, and, and he got me two of them in one hour. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. I've only been musky fishing once. I've been pike fishing a number of times. I went musky fishing one time and uh it was i guess i didn't make enough casts because we didn't get were you trolling or casting (laughs) we were casting yeah that's a lot tougher when you troll you obviously you know you're a fisherman when you troll you cover a lot more ground and yeah you know then when you you find a spot where they're hitting or a depth that they're hitting uh then you maybe cast there you know Mm -hmm. but uh when you when you go out and you think you found a spot i mean you find them on the uh on the sonar but it's like and you kind of got to figure out where they're biting you know Yeah. Well, and so when, when you go out there and you're in, you know, you have this successful trip, what does that do? I mean, at this point in your life, you're at at what stage in your wrestling or fighting career is this that you're, that you fall in love with fishing? Okay. So here, I'll give you a little more timeline on this. So 
up until that point, uh, up until I say it would be 2000, it was my third fight was the first time that, uh, right after my third fight, I took a trip to the St. Lawrence and I chartered a boat and, uh, well, I paid for a charter, obviously. I brought my brother and my friend Scott Witt with me and it was, I guess it would be 2015, 2014. I'm sorry. September of 2014. We took a trip to the St. Lawrence. And I mean, we sat on a boat trolling and with this guy must have been a hundred years old and he was <laughs> not, not very talkative, not very enthusiastic. And we sat on the back of his boat, looking at four rods on downriggers going all over the St. Lawrence for eight hours and not a single, not a, even a follow. I mean, it was <laughs> a very discouraging trip. You're in a good mood and your spirits are high the first two hours, the next six hours when you're not. And the guy put all the poles out and put, put them on the, the planers and the riggers. And we didn't touch a pole for eight hours, literally. <laughs> and uh, that was discouraging. But I said, all right, well, that was a thousand dollar trip. Four of those you can buy, you know, we bought that little Lund, I think two or three weeks later for four grand. And I mean, that, that was four trips, you know, so yeah. we've gotten way more out of that little Lund and, uh, I've upgraded since then, but, um, and boat wise, but, yeah. uh, that was the, so that was in 2000, September, 2014. And then, you know, we fished on and off kind of just tinkering around and not anything very serious. And then it was 2016 when I took that trip with, uh, Matt Lamoureux in Edinburgh and he got the two musky in one, you know, one hour. But, uh, that, let me think that was September or early October. So that was after my first UFC fight. I like to go back and visit my coaches and my friends that still live in Edinburgh, mm -hmm. uh, whenever I can. I can, I don't have a ton of time obviously to make an eight hour trip, but I went after my first UFC fight. So it was my first victory in the UFC, September or early October, 2016. And then ever since then, it's been pedal to the floor, man. Yeah. And so did fishing have any, um, any impact on the rest of your life and the fighting and, and any, any sort of a way that it, that it refocused you or did it have any, any impact yeah, on you? I, I mean, it must have I, for that, you to get so into is, it. Yeah. When people ask me that, I actually have a, a very specific answer and it's always the same. And I would say, I'm not sure it refocused me. I'm not sure it was something that, you know, uh, when you fish hard and you know this, when you fish hard, it's not always relaxing. It's, you yeah, know, no. you're running and gunning. And I wouldn't say it was, uh, you know, Hey, this is my kick my feet up and have a drink in my hand sort of fishing trip. But what it does for me is it breaks up the monotony of my very, uh, regimented lifestyle. And I am a guy that does everything extreme. I am a guy that needs a structured regimented lifestyle. And that's why I'm so good at wrestling and fighting. And, um, it, it almost got to the point where I was feeling like I was in like a, like serving out a prison term or a prison <laughs> sentence. And it really, it sounds funny and almost like crazy to say that, but that's really how I felt. I felt like, man, it could be Sunday. It could be Tuesday. Every day is the exact same thing. And weekends didn't really mean much. I don't drink. So it's not like I go out on the weekends or anything like that. So it was just, it broke up the monotony. It gives me something to look forward to at the end of every week. So I, I hold off fishing during the week. I don't fish until Saturday and Sunday. And those are the two days I allow myself to do it. That's my weekend. I finally have a weekend. So it definitely gave me something to look forward to. And, and are uh, you it, it, are you training? Like, I mean, I know that your training will probably change a little bit as you're preparing for a fight or something. But are you training just five days a week, or are you or on those weekend days are you training as well when you're fishing? Awesome. I also train on those. So, like tomorrow when I go up and I I fish upstate, I will be getting up at probably six thirty or seven, and uh, I'll do a workout. I'll go out and fish. When it gets dark, we come back in, and obviously it's getting darker a little earlier now. Uh, I come back in and I do uh, another workout before dinner. So, yeah. I, and my training really doesn't change a whole lot uh, out of fight camp or during fight camp. That for me is kind of a weird term because the only thing that changes is I do a little more sparring. But the number of workouts and the intensity of the workouts is relatively the same year round. Yeah. And so are you... Um like in order to break up this monotony and to learn more about fishing, are you like reading about, about, you know, and trying to get better also, does that help you? Or are you so wiped out after the end of the training that, that you're just waiting for the weekend? So when you say, you know, reading or watching or learning, you meant about fishing, yeah, right? Of course. Yeah, of course. Uh, but this way, I, I actually, the last couple of days when I'm doing my morning cardio session, I'm on a, you know, a treadmill or an uh, elliptical or stepper or whatever it is that day. I actually was watching a bunch of the saltwater experience. Shows oh, yeah. On YouTube, so. <laughs> yeah. I like to do that. You know, it's like 
a lot of guys like to watch fights or, you know, some sort of, you know, they watch an old opponent or a new opponent or, you know, uh, fight stuff. I'd rather watch fishing. And, you know, so I'm constantly trying to learn and I pick people's brains, uh, the musky guys, especially. I got, an, I got a buddy up there named Zach Baker. He make, makes the best musky lures. And I mean, they are, uh, I almost feel bad using them. They're a piece of art. So I try to talk to him as much as I can and, and pick his brain. And, you know, these guys, those musky guys are really into like, I'll, I'll give you an example. They're into like the moon times. So yeah. like for me, I had no idea what he was talking about, but he runs these tournaments, right? And he'll tell me, hey, if you look at the data here that, I, you know, I picked up running this tournament, 90% or 85% of the fish were caught at peak moon times. Hmm. So I was like, geez, man, you, you really are... <laughs> You're getting picky, not picky, but detailed on this. You know, it's like, hey, just run out, run a few baits at this depth and this speed, and you'll. No, they're doing moon times. And yeah, well, a lot of the you know a lot of the deer hunters feel the same way. Uh, Adam right. Hayes, that does uh, Team Two Hundred, he's got this this moon guide, and um, oh you God. can you can you know adjust it and figure out you know the peak times. And man, some people absolutely swear by that as a. As a fishing guide, I used to have people that would call me all the time and they'd be like, what are the tides like on this week? And, and <laughs> what is the moon like? And what's the best week? And I would always, I would always give them the same answer. I'm like, look, man, I don't know. I'm going out there and I'm going to be out there anyway. And right. uh, so I really don't know what to tell you. I mean, if you fish hard and, and the wind's not blowing and you get some nice weather, you're going to catch more fish than on perfect, perfect moon <laughs> when it's you know, you got a cold front. <laughs> I'm going out there anyway. So, yeah. you know, you can, you can come and, uh, and we'll try to, we'll try to catch some fish and. Yeah. And uh, that's how I fish. That's how I fish. I go out tomorrow. It's probably going to be raining. You know, I didn't even look at the wind, but I'm going out regardless. Cause the lake we're going on tomorrow, it's not a, it's not a big body of water. I mean, you can, if you troll the perimeter of the lake, you'll do it 20 times in the day. It's you oh, know, yeah? in an eight, it's six or eight hour period. Yeah. It's not very big. But I'm going out regardless. I'm, you know, I'm not going to get up at 4 a.m. to get there by 6 for the, you know, for the, the sunrise. I just go. And if I get there at 9 a.m., I get there at 9 a.m., you know. And we fish until it's dark. So 5 p.m. tomorrow will probably be about how late we can cut it. Hmm. So. That's, uh, that's cool. It's really cool to, uh, to see you in all of your um, post-fight interviews and everything else bringing, um, bringing up fishing so much. I mean, you, right. you go straight to it. Yeah, you, you go by the hashtag of best fisherman in MMA, and you know you're right there with Joe Rogan in the in the ring. And the first thing that you're, I mean, you, you know, you say a few things, a couple of nice things about your opponent, and then it's straight yep. to the fishing. I, I find it really, really interesting that uh, that it's that big a part of your life. In my in my experience, like when I would have anglers come, and these guys they look pretty athletic, and I'm. And they're just so into it. They're, they're, they're as into it as I am. And right. I always would ask them, I'm like, Hey man, what, what kind of, what's your athletic background? And, and nine times out of 10, the people that were really into fishing were wrestlers of some sort. Right. They wrestled in high school or grammar school or something. And that and baseball players. And I don't know why, huh. but. I don't, do you have any, do you have any thoughts on, on why wrestlers would be, would be drawn to fishing as much as they are? Because it's uncanny, really. I mean, yeah, I mean, this would be my only guess. And again, I don't have any research or data to back this up because I don't know a lot about the other sports and what they're doing in their off time. But I know a lot of the good wrestling schools are, they're, uh, you know, they're rural. They're, they're not, you know, and there's some exceptions, obviously there's, you know, in Columbus, Ohio state. So, but if you talk about like, you know, just the Pennsylvania schools, State College, Pennsylvania, where Penn State is middle of nowhere, Edinburgh, middle of nowhere, Clarion, Bloomsburg, all these schools are in the middle of nowhere. And they're typically, you know, those are at one point were really good wrestling schools. Um, but I think a lot of the downtime, you know, guys making weight so they can't go out to eat and drink and party. So I think a lot of the downtime is, is, uh, fishing or hunting i know at edinburgh a lot of these guys were asking for the first day or the first day of hunting season off of practice <laughs> you know and, and in pennsylvania they actually i think uh, you know i don't know if this was some made up day off but the kids are all off of school the first day of hunting season yeah well yeah. i think that's i think that's awesome obviously i used to uh have a deal with my kids that if they brought home straight a's that we would i would take them out of school and we would go fishing and that's awesome it and, and we we held 
to that until they were in high school, until the school was wow. like, yeah, you know, we've got a lot of people getting straight A's here and not everybody's yeah. pulling their kids, <laughs> pulling their kids out of school. So, but it did sure. work. And, and that was, yeah, our, that, that was my reward. But you know, the, the people that I know wrestling and, uh, and MMA that are fishermen, definitely the, the, the ones that I know the most, Pat Militich, he loves yep. to fish. Chad Mendez. Chad Mendez is great. Yeah, he's got a whole guide service. I'm trying to get him on the podcast too. Hopefully, uh, we can get that we can get that worked out. I've talked to him a couple times. I guess he's getting ready for another fight, so his time might be a little limited. But he's got a cool thing going in he in, sure in California, and also um, Clay Clay Guida. He loves to fish. Tito Absolutely. Ortiz. Tito, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I saw, yeah, I saw a couple of his on YouTube, man. They, those guys are really good at fishing too. Again, I think a lot of that stuff, especially with Tito, Tito does a little more salt water. Now I, I should probably refine my hashtag and my handle with the best fisherman in MMA. I'm definitely the best freshwater fisherman. <laughs> I wouldn't have a clue. I've only gone saltwater fishing two or three times. So, I, you know, I can't claim that I'm the best there, but I know those guys, Tito's, you know, big saltwater guy. I know I've seen Mendez out in the boat in the, in the, in the ocean and doing some, deep sea stuff but uh i wouldn't have the slightest idea where to even start in, in salt water yeah well you should we should definitely get you down to uh to the florida keys because anyone oh, i think that anyone that is is a fisherman at heart loves the florida keys um immediately because there's just so much i mean it's lifetimes upon lifetimes upon lifetimes of exploring and for the sure. most part most of what we're doing is like the type of fishing that you're talking about. It's very athletic style of fishing. Right. Uh, of course, there's there's other ways that you can fish, but for the most part, fishing on the in the shallow water on the skiff. You know, you're pulling the boat all day long. Man, it's basically that's cool. like climbing a rope, and you're seeing the fish before <laughs> you're casting to them. And then it becomes like hunting, to where you see the fish, you try to sneak up on them, and then make a cast in a way that they can't see it or see right. you. And then these fish are huge a lot of times. I mean, a bonefish can be kind of small, but incre- I mean, it's like, uh, you know, one of your lake run steelhead up there, just right. super strong for yeah. pound for pound. And, and they take off. And of course we have tarpon, which get, you know, 150 pounds and they're in, Jeez. they're in two, three feet of water and you sneak up on those and just throw either a light spinning rod or a, or a fly to them. You would go nuts. You would absolutely. Oh, that's something I'm into. Yeah, that, that kind it. of fish I really like. You know, the kind of. I here's the thing I don't love about my. I guess it would be my perception of saltwater fishing is. I did it. I went up to Alaska a few years back to, to do a wrestling clinic, and they took us out for halibut. And man, it was really cool. But I'm not super into just putting bait on and dropping it down and letting them eat. You know, and I get it. There's some fish that you have to catch like that. They're just not going to, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to throw a maps out and catch a, a grouper. You know, you yeah. got to drop it. I get that. But I just like the more active, you know, I don't love throwing bait on and just dropping it down away for something to eat it. I yeah. like what you just talked about going and spot casting those big fish and running a fly past them or a streamer past them. Yeah. Do you do fly, do you fly fish too? I just started fly fishing this past about a year ago, actually, because, oh, well, I guess it was a little less than a year. <laughs> Long Island, all the water, all the fresh water was really cold last year here in long island and the last uh none of the waterways were uh were water anymore it was all hard water and the only body of water in long island that was still running was the connect river and they have uh, a pretty cool thing going on there where you actually reserve a spot you call ahead you reserve a spot and they have four hour slots during the day and you pay like 30 bucks and you go in and you get a little platform on the river and you can stay on the platform or go into the water if you got your waders but i started fly fishing uh yeah i guess it was eight or nine months ago and i uh i fell in love with it yeah well you will i mean just from what i know about you already you're going to go crazy for it because it is uh i don't know i i got i got way into fly fishing and um <laughs> and it's just one of these things that it's just this this constant learning process this constant refinement not unlike, not unlike golf or Olympic weightlifting or martial arts to where right. the better you get, the better you realize that you can be and the more practice, you know, like a Tiger Woods or someone that, that constantly is changing his, his stroke and constantly working with coaches. And there's just that opportunity with fly fishing. And then, you know, probably um, something from watching your dad make the paddles 
which I'm sure you did when you were when you were yeah. growing up, there is this whole aspect to to fly fishing where you're tying your own flies to where you build your own rods and then I don't know, it's just it's it's all consuming. It can be. And and it can, you know, especially for like what you're what you're saying about the fishing that you're doing now that it it's kind of a break from the monotony and that's where I think the fly fishing I don't sure. know. That's what I found about it is like, it's hard to like, you've got your friend that makes the lures and stuff and you probably got to have yep. a wood shop or I don't know what he's got to have, but yeah, know, to tie your own flies, yeah. to tie your own flies, you just need a vice and a few little things and you can come up with these, these, these cool flies. And then when you catch a fish on it, it's really, it's really it's gratifying, cool. I bet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it really is. But I, I kind of think that, um, like getting back to the, to the, the reason why the wrestlers, and fighters like fishing so much. I always kind of think of it, especially in the type of fishing that I do, it's really a chess game. And you have all of these, and my, my friend Scott Walker explains it, like every morning he gets up and he thinks of it as a puzzle. And right. it's, like, it's like the puzzle was all created and every morning somebody's dumped it all out on the floor. And so you pick up all these pieces and you lay them out on the table and you start looking for the four corners. <laughs> and then you get these four corners set up and that's, you know, the wind and the tide and, and the, the, you know, maybe you throw in the moon or, you know, whatever other factor yeah. you're going to, you're going to do that. And you start, you start putting this puzzle together. And by the end of the day, you know, you've, you've worked out this pattern of where the fish are, which is not entirely unlike a wrestling match. You know, you're, right. I mean, I guess you can go in there and on occasion, you're going to just completely overpower your opponent. But for the most part in a tough match, it's it's like a physical chess match. It you're, is. You're thinking a, a step or two ahead, and then there's this there's this, all this preparation that goes into it. Not unlike fighting, or you know, I mean, I know what you're doing in in getting ready for a fight is a huge amount of preparation, months, a year a, ahead of time. And then I noticed that you have some interesting. <laughs> you have some interesting to say the least interesting uh rituals before the fight which is making weight two weeks before yeah and then do doing it again run. yeah is that yeah how, did you do that when you were wrestling i didn't it was just in i mean i was kind of trying to mimic uh a wrestling season because as you know you know and anyone else who's wrestled they know that you make weight throughout the season so there yeah. might be 20 weigh-ins and typically the, the first one's the worst and you feel the worst when you do it um you don't recover as fast when you put the stuff back into your body that you've you know run out of it um so really what it was was kind of trying to mimic that first bad weight cut and get that one out of the way so on the second and third time when i do it uh, my body's actually had practice at replenishing and and rebuilding after that weight cut. So I, I it, it works for me. I know uh, I don't get super heavy. So for me, it's not a huge deal to make it two or three times before the fight. What do you walk uh, around? But, what do you walk around uh, at? About 170. Okay. So, so 170, it, you're fighting 155. Yeah, but we get a pound. So it's 156 because uh, non-title fights, uh, it's always plus one. So it's 156. But, you know, for me, it works. I wouldn't say that everyone would feel the same. I think some guys are so big that it would probably hurt them to go down a couple times. But for me, it works. And I think that's what you need to find when you're fighting. You need to find what works exactly for you. So some guys won't be able to drink Pedialyte right after. Like I personally won't drink Pedialyte. I'll drink half water, half Gatorade. I get a little bloated if I drink Pedialyte because it's so full of uh, those electrolytes and sodium. So, I mean, some guys swear by it, but for me, I, it, it doesn't work as well. And I think that's the... Uh, the secret of being super successful is finding out exactly what makes you tick and what you run best on. Mm -hmm. And, and I also, in that same article that I read, it was talking about you making weight two weeks ahead of time, but it, then yep. it also said that you, you decide purposefully not to fish three weeks before the fight. Is that true? <laughs> yeah. So what happens is at three weeks out, um, I cut myself off from fishing and it almost makes me feel like, all right, this, it just, it, it it puts me back in that kind of prison sentence lifestyle where I'm like, this is go time. Now it's getting serious. We know, my body and my head, everything knows that a fight's coming up and it's time to really get locked and loaded. And it almost deprives me a little bit of my fun. And it gives me, I, I hate to say like, uh, it makes me like want to beat the guy even worse. Cause that's so cliche sounding, but it, it makes me feel like, man, I'm being like deprived and robbed of a little bit of pleasure. So I need to like, I need to, 
get it out somehow. And it almost like channels me a little bit towards beating the guy, you know, more than I wanted to already. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can, that's, uh, that's saying a lot about what fishing has, has done for your, for your lifestyle. Because at, before that, I mean, we're, we're only talking about a few years ago that, yeah. that you really have taken fishing this much into your life. So before that, how are you channeling this aggression? Or I, I, I don't know. <laughs> to be honest with you, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine living like that still. I'm not sure I'd still be fighting. And I mean, it says a lot. And I know it sounds a little extreme, but like, I don't know how long I could have gone on like that for because it is really taxing on you not having any sort of reprieve from you know, the grind of, you know, 18, 19 workouts a week sometimes. So it's, I, I couldn't imagine, I, I might not be fighting if it weren't for fishing or something else to give me a little bit of, you know, like I said, breaking up that mon the monotony and like the superstructure of, of that lifestyle. Yeah. So, so do yeah, you think I mean, in that, in that regard, do you think that fishing has made you a better fighter? I absolutely do. Um, and obviously it's, it's, uh, it's not a direct correlation, but it has some sort of correlation. I think it gives, makes me take a little bit of time off because I'm the kind of guy who I, I, I probably overtrain. Um, actually, not probably. I definitely overtrain. And it at least makes me not do too many workouts on those days that I'm fishing. It gives me a little break. Again, I, I mentioned that fishing, I fish hard and we, we're running and gunning. So it's not, you know, kicking my feet up and, and tanning in the boat, you know. But I think it definitely makes me take a little bit of time off of working out because when I get bored, even if I've already trained two or three times that day, I'll go for a run because I'm so bored or I'm, you know, so uh, I'm, I'm lonely in my apartment and I have nothing I'm done while I'm sick of watching TV. So I'll go out and run when, you know, when I'm fishing, I'm occupied and I can't, <laughs> I can't go for a run or go for an extra bike ride or do an extra lift or whatever the case may be. And so in, in, in the way that you're set up right now, wherever you're training and living and and you have your boat, you have access basically at, at short. I mean, it wouldn't take you. It's not a full day trip to go fishing, right? I mean, like you have All some right. you have some access to some good water. <clears throat> okay, so here's what happens. So, and this is uh, you know we're obviously doing a lengthy podcast here, so I can explain as the long whole as you situation. want, man. <laughs> All right, cool. So here's what happens when I'm in Long Island, which is where I live technically. I have an apartment down there and I'm there, you know, 85, 90% of the time. Like I mentioned, my parents, my brother, my sister, my whole family lives upstate, which is six, seven hours away from, uh, you know, the downstate area of Long Island, New York City, excuse me, that whole area. So I don't have my boat in Long Island. I don't trailer it down here. Um, I leave the boat upstate. So if you see me in my boat on my Instagram, that means I'm upstate New York. So what I do when I'm in Long Island is I, I typically, or not typically, I always am in my waders. Uh, so I'm out and I'm, you know, actively walking around the banks or in the water and uh, hiking to little spots that are kind of remote. Typically, those are out a little further east in Long Island. But um, so, yeah, if I'm in Long Island, I'm, I'm in my waders. And if I'm upstate, I'm in the boat. Gotcha. So, gotcha. Yeah. And you, you seem so close to, to the really good striped bass fishing. That's I am. <laughs> that's never been of interest. I got a friend. My buddy Justin. Yeah, my buddy Justin and my buddy Ken and my buddy Dylan. They're my uh, saltwater guys, and they like to go out and do that uh, uh, surf casting. But I've never done it. I, I did a little bit of blue fishing, like I mentioned last year. I did like two or three trips with my buddy Ken. Yeah. Actually, it's funny. Ken took me out. I had knee surgery. This is really a pretty cool story. I had knee surgery, and it was in May of 2017. And, uh, you know, I was in a, a, it was a big knee surgery. I have a six or seven inch scar on the front of my knee. So I was in a leg immobilizer, which is a brace from your groin to your ankle and you can't bend your knee. So I was in that and Ken was like, listen, the blues are on fire out at Smith's point or wherever we were going. He's like, you gotta come, you gotta come. And I was like, listen, man, I'm not sure I'm gonna be able to even walk how far. He's like, well, you know, it could be a mile from the parking lot. To be I was like, listen, I can't walk like that. Like, he's like, I'll carry you. He carried me out in a piggyback out to the water that he, he got me on the blues. I think in two hours, I caught like 12 or 13 of them. And they're pretty, you know, upwards of 10 pounds or higher. Well, I saw one um, on your Instagram that was huge. One of the bigger yeah. blue fish I've ever seen. Yeah, that was a big guy. That was with Ken. And Ken took me out there and put me on those fish. And I, I loved it. The problem is Ken is, you know, he has a full-time job, obviously. And his only days are off, uh, offered during a week. So... I, again, don't fish unless it's the weekend, and so I don't get to fish much with Ken, but he's been trying to get me to do uh, fluke and blackfish and uh, 
he's doing trigger fish off off a dock a little earlier this year. Just, I mean, if I went out with Ken, I'd catch a lot of saltwater fish. I just can't make the times work. Yeah. Well, I can tell you this from from what I know about it, and I'm I'm a stranger to this world, but that striped bass world is full of a bunch of maniacs that are as oh, yeah. into as into it as as you can possibly imagine. And they are seriously completely obsessed. My friend Jamie Howard, who has been on this podcast, did this three-year-long, I think it was three years, he spent a a lot of time doing this movie, and it's called Running the Coast. And you should really check that out. It is, Yeah? It's so close to you. I mean, you're surrounded by all of this water and this whole culture of of these obsessed maniacs out there fishing <laughs> for these giant striped bass and and yeah. they, they fly fish for them they surf cast for them some people oh, some cool. people actually wear wetsuits and yeah. get in the water and they call it squishing where they That's they're kind of swimming and they're fishing and they're just out there in the middle of the night in this freezing cold water <laughs> <laughs> i mean dude maniacs these guys yeah, these guys will rival any I mean, every little nuance of fishing has their has their extreme end of it, but these guys live on the extreme uh, of and and that's coming from a a pretty extreme fisherman myself. Sure. That I mean, I I look at these guys, I'm like, dang, dude, those guys are hardcore. <laughs> so when uh, you when you find that, you're gonna you're gonna go nuts for it. it there, there's yeah. no doubt about it. I get that because I remember when I was out with Ken last year and I was out with my buddy Dylan uh, right around the same time. And these guys were out, we're blue fishing, you know, but obviously some stripers bite when you're blue fishing. But they were literally running from spot to spot. And I mean, it was like, hey, they've moved up to, oh, from Lido Beach, they moved down to Smith Point. Everyone hops in the car and just bolts. And I mean, they have a little network of all their buddies that keeps them in, in the loop. Yeah, and man, was it neat to see how fast these guys will jet from one spot to another because they just know that that oh, fishing isn't hot here; it's down the street. Someone went, you know, b- over there before, and they said the fishing's on here. You get there, and now it's moved down to another spot down the beach. You know, right? And they're moving around like crazy, and they got the whole, and and they move around with the tides, and they're moving around with all sorts of different different um, uh, situations, and getting a little piece of information, just like you're talking about, and then. There's a physical aspect to that fishing as well. I mean, some of those guys are are wading out as far as they possibly can and finding a rock to stand on, and they're getting pummeled by waves. <laughs> and that's where you're going to be like, oh, this is physical? Like, like if I'm tougher or I can stand here longer, that means I'm going to catch fish, more fish than the rest of these right. guys, and then you'll never come in. You'll you'll be out there. That's when I say I'm in, man. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell. I actually saw your tattoo that it says one or a hundred. Yep, one or a hundred. Either what does that I'm mean? not doing it, I'm not doing it, or I'm, you know, one hundred percent diving in head first. So it's either all or nothing with me. And that doesn't pertain to one aspect of my life. That's my entire personality. And if I decide I'm going to do something, like when I decided I was going to fight, I said, I'm going to see this through the whole way. And if I do this, I'm going to be the best and I will be fully immersed in this lifestyle. And that's, that's how I am. Otherwise I just wouldn't do it. I'm not going to half-ass anything. Yeah. So let's talk about that for a second. You, 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 uh, obviously, not not everyone is going to understand your wrestling pedigree, but you're two-time state champion in high school. Is yep. that correct? Yes. And then yep. you go to one of the best wrestling colleges in the country, D1, Edinburgh, four-time yep. All-American, and then you win. Yep. And not only that, but if I'm not mistaken, at some point along the line, uh, I watched you wrestle Jordan Burroughs, yeah. who is... I mean, tell me or tell the people that are listening who Jordan Burroughs is because he, I mean, in my opinion, he's one of the world's best. Yeah, no, I mean, he definitely is one of the world's best. He might be one of the best in history, Um, not just this current moment in time. He's, uh, He's something else. He has been the guy that has represented the U.S. since 2011. So that's 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. So eight years in a row now. 
of, and that's including two Olympic years. So of those uh, eight years that he's represented the U.S., because only one guy can represent the U.S. from or for any given country for that specific weight style right. or weight class. So that weight class in the U.S. has been owned by Jordan Burroughs for the last eight years. And of those eight, he's won five world or Olympic titles. So three of those eight, he didn't win. He had two bronzes and five golds. And I think he didn't place in the 16 Rio Olympics. And that was his only bad tournament. I what would about, say in the what past. about just recently in the, in the world, there was a world, um, yep. wasn't there a world championships a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, he took a bronze. He lost to, I believe the Russian. Um, and it was actually the, the idea is, was that Jordan Burroughs would probably meet this guy, Camizo or Chimizo, the Cuban who actually is now wrestling for Italy. I think he defected into Italy and it was going to be those two in the semifinals or the finals. And, and Burroughs ended up getting beat by, I believe the Russian and then the Russian beat the, uh, the Italian and then the Italian and Burroughs who had actually traded, they'd swapped matches, you know, one guy won and the other guy won over the course of the summer. And that ended up being the bronze medal match, which Burroughs won. So, this most recent tournament, he was the third best in the world. Wow. You know, which actually it sounds so crazy to say this, but a little disappointing considering everyone expected him to win another gold. So I'm sure that, you know, he was probably a little, he felt he probably underperformed. He'd yeah. won five Olympic or, or world medals, or that, I'm sorry, titles that, before that. That, that comes, you, you think he's a little bit disappointed when his Instagram handle is all I see is gold? All I see is gold. <laughs> it is. He's just something else. I mean, up until a few years ago, he had, I think, only one loss in his first five years of international competition, which is absolutely mind-boggling. That is like, mind-boggling, especially when you, when you know anything about the way that some of these other countries manage their youth programs, <laughs> like Cuba or I'm sure Russia. I don't know much Russia about the Cuba Russian, the but two. Yeah. Cuba, I mean... You know, somebody like uh, Yoel Romero oh, basically yeah. brought up in in a wrestling training camp. Yeah, you know, going to it's school a, and training, and yep. depending on which which uh, uh, number, you know, is he number one or number four? Depends on how much you get to eat. I mean, yep. there's a oh, whole you must different have listened motivation. To the Joe, you you listen to the Joe Rogan podcast. I listened to that Joe Rogan yeah. podcast, and it, I was fascinated the whole oh, time. Man, and I'm, that saying, was I'm just a, thinking, <sighs> and 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 wrestling in the United States is is you know a lot of private schools, and oh yeah, and how how can you possibly compare the the motivation? I mean, this guy is trying to eat. You know, we've got kids over here trying to win a a state championship. You know, I mean, just the difference. I, I was just fascinated with the difference of yeah. of of the motivating factors, and yeah, and, and I, mean, I mean, more so it, than it, anything it, else in that podcast. I was just like, wow. I know, man. man. That was su such a super cool one to listen to. And I remember, other than the they had the translating issue, you know, obviously yeah. he doesn't speak great English, so that was the one thing that wasn't like awesome about it. But it didn't really matter because the content was so fascinating, right? And especially. And the fact yeah, especially What's coming that? from a, you know, from somebody that knows even just a little bit about wrestling. I mean, maybe it wasn't as 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 interesting to people that that don't know anything about wrestling or how competitive it is or or just all of that. But I I, right. I just was fascinated by that. I know, and like the thing you mentioned earlier is like. It, you know, it's like the cool kid getting to sit at the cool kid table. If you win or you're the best guy in the country at that weight class, you're getting better housing, better food, more meals, more privilege. And it's like, man, no wonder these countries like that are obviously good. The motivating factor there is your livelihood. And, you know, the U.S., it's incredible that they won the Worlds last year and took second this year. It's just insane to think that we could compete with, you know, a country like that or even, I mean, more so is the Russians. Um, the Russians, it's literally insane. That is the national sport in Russia. And if you are a good wrestler, you're famous. I mean, Alexander Karelin is a politician now. Yeah. And, you know, that's, I mean, he's the most successful wrestler in history, but he's literally like a high up guy in the government in Russia. Yeah. Yeah. And, and high up in more ways than one. The guy's freaking a giant. Oh my God! What a monster, right? <laughs> he's, a, he's a total monster. Um, so, so anyway, uh, we got on a little bit of a tangent because Jordan Burroughs is is uh, you know in in or around your weight class, and so as you get out of out of college, 
and then not to mention that Kyle Dake and David Taylor, <laughs> David Taylor. are probably yeah. right right there too. So bump up, bump down, and you know, I mean, not that, good luck. Not yeah. that at that level, you're not going to be encountering unbelievable competition, whether or not you've heard of these people or not. That leads you to kind of you finish college. And where does that leave you? Are you looking at the UFC as a possibility or what's the, what's the, um, you know, I just had Matt Hughes on and I was asking him about his motivating factors. And he was like, man, I just went to a, there was a, like a, basically a tough man contest. And I went there and won and it was fun and I made a little money and then I just kept going. And so what was, what was your journey like there to, you know, coming from college and, and, you know, obviously now the UFC is a major draw. It's a real way to make a living. There's a career sure. there. So how does that how does that work for you? Okay, so I actually I when I was done competing, my last year of eligibility was oh nine. That was my last NCAA tournament. I did that. <laughs> Got done with school. I took a couple years off of doing pretty much anything, partied a little too much, cleaned up my act, and then I wanted to compete again when I, you know, when I was totally done with my oh nine year. I really was done and I I didn't want to compete ever again. I just was so sick of, you know, I loved winning and I loved competing, but just, it was such a grind and college wrestling. There's nothing like it having to do school and having to do the weight cut a couple times a week and having to travel all over the country, play catch up when you get back and you've got, you know, the toughest dudes in the country trying to rip your head off every week. And, <laughs> and even in your own practice room. So I was done in 09. I said, I'm done. Thank God. I said, I remember saying this to a buddy. I said, my, my term or my sentence is is through. I finished it. I've served my time. I did my time. Like I said, I started partying a little too much and it got a little out of hand and I ended up cleaning up uh, my act a little bit. When I, when I got to that point, I said, what the hell else am I going to do now? I should probably start competing again. So I started wrestling again. I did one year of uh, freestyle wrestling and that just happened to be the year Jordan Burroughs was coming out of college and won his first world title. So I, 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 I mean, it was... It was so clear to me that for anyone that doesn't, you know, anyone who's listening who doesn't know wrestling, collegiate style and American style wrestling, there's a lot of top and bottom. So when you take a guy down, you can stay on top of him. Uh, when you're on bottom, the objective is to get out. In international style wrestling, which is what you do after college in the Olympic and world level, there's really no top and bottom. It's all, you know, neutral, they call it. So you're on your feet and the objective is to take the guy down or turn the guy as he's taking you down or, you know, something along those lines. So there's really no top and bottom position. My forte in wrestling was top. So that my best part of my game was taken away from me. Um, is if I wanted to compete in freestyle, Jordan Burroughs, on the other hand was, I mean, probably is the best guy ever in the neutral position in history, maybe. So, for me to think that I was going to compete with Jordan Burroughs and beat him in his best spot, which was not my best spot, was just, I saw the writing on the wall and I said, you know, I think it's probably time to try something else. At that point, I'd actually moved to Hofstra or moved to Long Island to coach at Hofstra. And I started tinkering around with some local uh, MMA guys and they asked me if I could help them, uh, you know, spar for a wrestler that they were fighting. I said, hey, I'm pretty good at this. I'm beating these guys who are actually, you know, either close to or in the UFC and I, I have no training. So, I mean, I, if I put a little into this, I think I could be pretty good. That's the short story. And so what, what's the first step that, that you thought you needed help with, like boxing on your feet, striking or jujitsu where, yeah. like when you're thinking about only, taking the next step, where does that look like for you? Yeah. I mean, I can only speak for myself because I know striking comes a little more natural to some than others. Uh, for me, striking has been the hardest thing to pick up and I'm definitely getting better at it and I continue to improve at it because it was such a foreign skill to me. But, um, you know, obviously wrestling, I had to tie some punches into takedowns and I had to tie some defensive punches into takedowns. And jujitsu is really just an extension of wrestling, you know, where you can, the objective is to, to hurt the guy or put him in a spot where he could get hurt. So he submits, but boxing is completely different. Uh, typically wrestlers that are righty put the right leg forward. And if you're righty in boxing, you gotta go left foot. So fortunately for me, I was left leg and right leg when I wrestled. So it was okay. Put my left leg forward. But yeah, striking is so different than wrestling and jujitsu that it's definitely been the hardest for me to to pick up. Yeah, and <laughs> I would I would think that uh, that's also some pretty hard lessons. I mean, you go in there and you start training with some <laughs> boxers. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, the hardest thing, in, in my opinion, was 
when you think you're just going to run everyone over with takedowns and then it's a lot different when guys are throwing punches at you and, and you can eat a knee pretty quick and i ate my fair share of those at the beginning and then the frustration with guys that you know are not wrestlers, but they're stopping your takedowns because you're not setting them up. You're just diving in because you right. think you're going to, you know, you're the wrestler, so you should be able to run them over. And my uh, my head coach, Keith Trimble, actually, he, he uh, planted it in my mind pretty quick. Like, listen, man, this is not a wrestling match. You have to set those up or you're going to pay. And not like you're going to lose points. You're going to get hurt. So, you know, he, he planted it in my mind fairly early that, Listen, man, you got to set these takedowns up. You can't just go diving in there. This is not a wrestling match. I don't care what you think. You are, this is, you know, you got to add some punching in and then you got to throw at them to either shoot or you got to throw at them to get them to throw back and then shoot. So that's been, uh, that's kind of been a really big focus of, of our training is the, the striking to the takedowns and then get them to throw back so you can shoot under their punches. But that came, again, that came fairly easy to me. Now, if you're talking just boxing, and I go in and box a good boxer, now that is uh, that's humbling. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. I would imagine that it that it would be. Well, this is kind of interesting because it seems like you know you were at a at a place in your in your career that you were you had done so much competitive wrestling in order to get to the level that you that you that you finally were four time All American and a champ. Yep. I mean, I know what it takes to get there, kind of. That's a tremendous amount of competition, I mean, and practice and weight cuts and all of that. So you're at a point oh, yeah. in your career to where you, you're even calling it like you've served your pr prison term. And now yeah. you're moving into this new world of MMA, which has some familiarity to it. Like there's some things that you're going to really take to and some things that are completely foreign. So how has that been for you as like – has that re-energized you now that you're learning all of these things and then you kind of realize, wow, there's way more to learn. Is that, is that like liberating or re-energizing? Yeah, I would say that, you know, I'm not sure what the right word or term is for that, but I would say I would explain it like this. If I'm going to dumb it down, the room to grow in wrestling for me was like tenths of a percent. That was the, the, the gap I was trying to close. So let's say I was at 99.4% of how good I was ever going to be to get to 99.5 or 99.6 was going to be, you know, a long arduous process and not very gratifying because you really don't notice that difference. It's not like you're learning a ton of new skill and, you know, you may not even notice that you've gained that 10th of a percent. Right. Now, right. whereas fighting, I may make a 5% uh, jump in a year, which is you could tell the difference. Then you're beating guys you weren't beating before. Yeah. So that's a lot more gratifying. Yeah, and in, in my opinion. Yeah, and then the learning too. I would imagine you know, like you you go back into wrestling and you're like, you know, every practice you're learning a new move. When you're a kid, you're like, right. oh look, I can do this and I can do this and right. I can do this, and everything's super exciting. And now you know you're going to jujitsu and you're learning. Oh, I just got to Oh, I just take this one little wrestling move. I change it just a little bit and check this out. I'm yep. submitting this person. Or, wow, I was getting, I was eating a knee, and now I'm doing this one thing slightly different. And I'm not, I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah, it it's fun to like, see new skills actually work. That's yeah. like when you do like, hey, I learned this technique in a jujitsu class, and obviously it's not magic. It doesn't work the second you learn it. But like over the course of a couple of weeks, man, you've taken that skill that you learned and you can see it. Uh, being effective against guys who are good and that is very that's very satisfying that it, it really is yeah i always think that that um and you may you may feel the same way but i always think that other activities whatever they are like for you it's fishing and and this is this is um enhancing your fighting because it's 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 giving you a, it's either giving you a break or it's it's allowing you to look at things a little bit differently and in my fishing career, I often look back on wrestling and think, okay, well, there's a lesson learned. And maybe if I apply it over here, then I can work this problem out that I'm having. Or, right. or maybe if it's just a long stretch of bad weather, it's like, well, you know, I'm tired. I'm sore. It's no different than wrestling practice. You just go. You just do it. Yeah. And in this, like what we're talking about right now, I was uh, had a long career as a Key West guide in a skiff, and then I started having kids. And about that same time, 
I, I got a different kind of boat. I got a bay boat, which is a larger boat, has bigger okay. lav wheels. It has, you know, in the skiff, it's a 16 foot boat. There's no trolling motor. Right. We were just poling along, pushing the boat with a push pole, mostly with fly fishing clients. And then I started getting into these tournaments and I started learning about spin fishing and that, that, you know, in the type of fishing that we were doing, spin fishing could have as you could be as skilled at spin fishing as you can be with a fly rod. And that was a real eye opener for me. Yeah. And then I got this bay boat that had these bigger live wells in it. And so now all of a sudden I'm throwing the cast net and I'm getting pilchards and this opens up this whole new style of fishing. And it's kind of similar and in, into kind of what we're talking about, about you almost being a little bit burned out in the wrestling and then having this other opportunity to, to have your eyes open, really start learning. That's the same thing that happened to me with the, with the bigger boat and the, and the bay boat is all of a sudden I became more excited about fishing than I had ever been before because all of this stuff that I had learned in the skiff, now I was applying it differently to the same kind of situations, but with different tackle, with different people, with different uh, objective in mind. And it just, it, it totally was a career shift for me in the bay boat. And yeah. it sounds, it sounds kind of similar. I mean, you know, how can you compare, you know, fishing and fighting in the UFC, but I just kind of do it in that it doesn't really matter what it is. I think that the, the person that is, that is, you know, constantly trying to learn is able to take whatever activity it is, whether you're into, I don't know, whatever yoga and somehow yeah. apply that to your business. And it sounds like that's kind of what, what you did. And it sounds similar to the, to the boat. When you were telling me about that, I was just thinking, man, that sounds like, like how <laughs> I felt with a bay boat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's happened to me in fishing too. Like I, I told you, I haven't, you know, I, only a couple of years now I've been very gun ho fishing, but you know, when you run the same setup and the same program for musky fishing or pike fishing, whatever it is over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you don't catch the fish, but you know, the majority of the time you are catching fish and it's, you know, it's exciting when you catch fish, but this past year, so I, I guess it was uh, like the middle of 2017, I got a big, bigger boat, 17 and a half foot uh, tracker deep V, and we put downriggers on it and it changed my world. Yeah. And just a different type of fishing and a new skill. And now you're having to relearn how to fish and, you know, taking some things from the other form of fishing, but now adding in new skills and a new, new platform. Right. You know? and, and, just, and that's, that's so similar to like, like even wrestling or, or I don't, I don't know fighting, like I know wrestling, but, but. You know, it's like now you got that downrigger and it's working and, yeah. and you start catching a couple of fish on it. And then there's this tendency to just stay there. It's like yep. when you learn a new wrestling move and it's like, oh, OK, well, now I'm going to go out. And I'm going to I'm going to throw everybody. That's not appropriate. Or, or if you try to throw this guy, he's going you're going to end up on your back. It's not, that's his world. Right. And and I find that with fishing all the time is like. I'll open up this new world, whether that, like it, what you're saying is the downrigger. For me, it might be maybe a new area where I'm finding these fish. And then the tendency is, wow, this worked. So now I'm going to do it every day. It's just <laughs> like with wrestling. I mean, that's what I'm talking about, about the applying the different things. It's like if you just I went totally out and tried to, tried to take down everybody you're fighting, it's going to work sometimes. Right. But it's, you're going to pay for it others. And, uh, yeah, of course. And so that's where, like, I, I see that that it's just this chess game. It's like sometimes the downrigger is going to be the best way. And yep. then other times you're only going to want to use that part of the day. And then yep. other times it's not going to be effective at all. At and, all, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. I find it, I find it very interesting. And I do, yeah. I kind of think that that is, is one of the reasons that, yeah. that the wrestlers have, have gravitated so much to to MMA. I mean to to MMA of course, but to fish. Of course, yeah. Um fishing, yeah. <laughs> to no, fishing. I think a new is always like adding new skills and adding new anything is always a little more fun. So like uh this weekend we're probably gonna run riggers and then I got some planer boards that I really want to try out. I don't know how to use them, but the thought of having to learn how to do that excites me. You know, and like, I don't know how to use a planer board. You'd be crazy because the most musky guys do, but like, I've never really used them. So I'm, I got a couple of them at home and I can't wait to use them this weekend. And again, this summer I started salmon fishing, 
because it was just too dang hot for the muskie. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went out salmon fishing and I mean, it was so cool because it was kind of like the unknown and you're like, hey, it's really going to work. I'm going out to 300 foot uh, of water out in Lake Ontario. I can't see the land anymore. And there's fish out here, really? And like, then you start catching them and you're like, holy crap, man, this is cool. Yeah. And you open, I mean, and that's just like a whole new world. It, it and, is. And now it's like, okay, what what would get me so excited is when I would find something that would work in weather conditions that other things won't work anymore. So you get, you know, I don't know what your prevailing wind is up there, but when it shifts the opposite way, that's probably not good. And then all of a sudden you find this one thing, you're like, oh, well, we could go over here and catch smallmouth bass up against this shoreline, right. it's the lee shoreline. So this other, this weather condition that you used to be, you know, afraid of or upset when it would roll around, now you're like, oh, no, no, that's the best for this over here. And you've learned this. Right. And you continue <laughs> to progress as a fisherman. You continue to progress in your knowledge of of how how things are working. And, and in the Florida Keys, that's what gets so many people so excited about both the Florida Keys and Louisiana. Just that mm-hmm. there is just this massive, endless area. And then you you add on top of that that you can just explore it. I mean, and forever. I mean, yeah. and there's so many different fish. I mean, we'll fish for over 50 different types of fish. And so on, on wow. almost every weather condition, there's something that you could do. And, wow, that's incredible. Yeah, and it's really fun. Yeah, I, de- I definitely want to get you down there because you're, you're, man, I'm in. you're the kind of guy that would, would really appreciate it for sure. Yeah, I would, man, for sure. So, so what, about, um, what about your, uh, your future do you do you have another fight planned? We're working on that currently. Um, we're just trying to figure out the date that works and the location that works. And um, obviously, I love a New York boy. I'd love to fight in New York. I know there's a, uh, one coming up in the early uh, the early part of 2019 that I'd really like to be on. So my managers are working on that currently. But um, as of this second, there's nothing set in stone. So that's uh, that's where we're at right now. Obviously, I'm training like I have a fight. So I'll be ready if they say, "Hey, this and this is where you are." Be ready, you know. Can and that I'll happen? Say, right. I mean, in, in the in the world of 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 the UFC, do you have to just basically be on go? Like, no, because you don't have to say yes to a short notice fight. Um, a lot of guys wouldn't, and I, if I weren't prepared, I would absolutely I would say no as well. If they had a short notice opportunity and I wasn't definitely prepared, you know, I try to stay as prepared as I can, um, barring that there's no injuries or you know sickness or anything. Um, I don't know. I can't speak for all the other athletes, but I can say that I am, you know, close to being ready most of the time. So if it's, you know, relatively short notice, I could probably, I could probably pull it together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll be watching and you'll have a, you'll awesome, have a man. whole army of, uh, of fishermen in your corner. Cool, man. I love that. Yeah. No, you definitely will. Um, and, uh, we're going to get you some more information on both the striper I'm going to see if I can get my friend Jamie Howard to, to send you the movie and you can watch yeah, that. Yeah, I would love to watch that, uh, that movie you, you were talking about. Yeah, Running the, Run the Coast. That's a, that's a really coast. amazing, amazing piece of, uh, of, it's like a documentary and it's in, yeah, it's I in love a, def- that. a couple of different um, formats and it, it really goes into, you know, they're a migratory fish and so they're moving right. and we have a migratory fish in the tarpon and, and there becomes a lot of mystique to that because they're here sometimes when they're supposed to be and then other times when they're supposed to be here they're not and kind of like where are they yeah. <laughs> so that that gives the fish a lot of mystique yeah we'll definitely we'll definitely get you um, hooked up with cool, with man. with that deal and uh, and we'll we'll be watching the whole fishing world will be watching you yeah, you'll all of a sudden be be the favorite, yes. the favorite of of all the fishing. But I wish yeah, you all the awesome. best of luck. And if people want to um, find you and follow you on your awesome Instagram, tell us how to do that. It is that the handle is at Gregor the Gift, and that's spelled G R E G O R the Gift. Okay, one word. And do you have any other? Do you do any other social media? YouTube? I mean, I have Facebook. My Facebook's attached to my Instagram, so it's all the same stuff. You're not going to get anything on one that you won't find on the other. But I don't use Twitter. I just never really got into it. I know I probably should have, but uh, my Instagram is my main platform, and I put all my fishing stuff up there, a lot of my workouts. uh, 
anything else that maybe piques my interest, I'll throw on there. But mostly it's uh, fighting and fishing. <laughs> that sounds fun. Sounds yeah. awesome. Okay, cool, man. Well, I hope you have a great trip on this on this one with your family. Happy birthday to you and your Thank brothers you. and sisters, and just have a great weekend. And uh, and and we'll be we'll be watching. Awesome. All right, Gregor. Thank All right, you. It's been fun. Thank you. See ya. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life.